You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Line 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. Final few days of March. It feels like we're going backwards in terms of the weather. We'll be back on the practice field on Wednesday evening for what figures to be another brisk Nittany Lions practice until we finally get through and do some consistency with the spring. But weather aside, spring ball well underway now, Sean. Week number two. We've got some things to talk about there. We'll have some more information on episode two this week coming off the practice field after another press conference uh, with James Franklin. Mike Yursich will be on the microphone as well after practice Wednesday. So content coming there. We're going to go recruiting heavy. You were on the road. So is Brian Doan down at the Under Armour Baltimore camp. And on your way down there, significant Nittany Lions news surfaced on Sunday morning. Neo Avery, a New Year's Eve commitment for the Penn State 2023 recruiting class, has exited that class. He's the number 126 overall prospect, the number 12 edge in 24-7 sports evaluation. And, Sean, this announcement came you know, really within an hour or so of him going face-to-face with media members. So the timing made sense on his end. Yeah, credit Neo Avery. He showed up at the Under Armour camp and, and spoke to uh, whoever put a microphone in his face, basically. Uh, but yeah, that was a surprise. I, I was heading down uh, 83 at that point and looked at my phone or actually got a, a notification on my watch and I uh, was not prepared for that one. Uh, this is one that uh, he, he just committed a couple of months ago, as you mentioned, on New Year's Eve. We're out of town for that one, too. But uh, yeah, that, that was one that kind of caught me off guard and talking to, to sources and things like that. It, it had been an ongoing conversation through the week between Avery and Penn State. He wanted to take visits. Obviously, Penn State does not want their guys taking visits. Um, came to a head and, and he found himself out of the class. Um, of course, the question comes back around every time this happens. Do you think he can circle back around? I do think this is a situation where Penn State could still land Neo Avery. Um, he didn't does not seem to be um, bitter or anything like that from just from talking to him. Um, so there's a there's a lot of things to, to work through, mostly on visits. I mean, he talked to Brian Doan the other day and told him uh, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and USC was in there, Miami's in there. Um, you know, Georgia was was really heavy on him before. We'll see if some of those big teams come back and circle back around. Um, but I think this is a situation where he'll find himself visiting schools in April. Uh, visiting schools, uh, taking official visits over the summer, and then probably making a decision before his senior year. Um, he's he's not going to get a chance to work out for a ton of coaches or anything like that this spring. He had the ACL surgery um, this offseason after uh, injuring his knee playing basketball. Um, so that might inf- impact his recruitment a little bit. But Penn State still wants him. Penn State uh, you know, thinks they have a shot. I feel like they have a shot just from talking to him. Um, but obviously, this is not the direction you want to go with your recruiting class at this point uh, in the cycle. It kind of happens. I mean, this is it's kind of funny. I was thinking back to Nick Elksness, the tight end from from Florida who decommitted from Penn State a couple of years ago. He did that on the day of an Under Armour camp. So maybe this is something we're falling into uh, with uh, with these camps coming back. But uh, that, that that's a tough one. I'm a big fan of Neo Avery. Um, we, we we knew that his recruitment was kind of different. He's a quarterback recruited as a tight end. We see him best as an edge player. Um, Penn State convinced him that he sees himself as an edge player, and I think that's the right decision. Um, and it's such a valuable position that I think his his recruitment, he's going to be in demand. So we'll see what happens over the next couple of months. I'm sure he'll be back on campus at Penn State. He just visited in January. Um, but I think this was a situation where he thought he made a decision a little bit uh, too quickly, and he wanted to circle back around and see some other schools. And uh, honestly, from a human aspect, uh, from a human perspective, can't blame the kid for that, uh, From at least from this end. 
And you look at within an hour or so of his announcement there, he tweeted out some new offers. I, I don't think those necessarily coincided with his announcement. Maybe these were some offers there, that there came were through. some offers through the process because I had talked right. to him offhand or you know just uh, via Twitter DMs and things like that. He was picking up offers throughout the process. Maybe it's something respected. that maybe jammed yeah. it forward a little bit, but they, I don't think they all came in at, at the same time. Yeah, he, he reported schools such as Southern Cal, uh, Miami, North Carolina, Louisville, um, now part of that offer sheet. And, and he put those out publicly within a few hours. Um, obviously, you're not going to see a lot of players who are committed to programs tweeting out every offer they get behind the scenes. But now 100% open, as he made clear to you and Brian Doan, uh, can Penn State get a circle back situation here? It's a rarity in recruiting. It does happen. We've seen it happen with Penn State before. Uh, but as you said, it happened explore- in the class for Penn State. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the exploration process, though, uh, you know, it, it's going to be big for him. And um, let's face it, we, we, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But Penn State hosted a couple guys committed to other schools. It's tis the season. It's time to get on the road. It's time to get on the plane. It's time to start organizing uh, how many guys you can pack into a car and how many schools you can hit in the same area during a weekend. And if one of those kids is committed and really wants to get in that car and maybe feels like he's shortchanging himself through the process of not exploring other campuses. Well, you hope that he has an open conversation with your coaching staff. And that sounds like what took place with Neo Avery, James Franklin and company, rather than just saying, you know what, screw it. I'll get in the car and hopefully we can keep this under wraps, which just never happens and never works. You probably have about a quarter to a third of your class in, in the, in the long run, that's ready to make a decision by this time. Um, that doesn't stop other people from making these decisions. You know, we've seen it in the past to the early commitments haven't stuck um, for some certain for, for a certain subset of kids. I do feel like looking at Penn State's class right now, they, the, the guys that they have on there seem like that they fit into that quarter to third of your class type uh, type of kid. Uh, Neo caught us off guard on uh, at the end of December. Uh, Georgia was heavily I think Georgia was favored on the crystal ball. Um, we had gotten some intel that things were going well. And then all of a sudden he ended it. I don't want to say that's a red flag or anything, but it's certainly something that you raise your eyebrow looking back in hindsight and say, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe you did see this one coming a little bit, but he did visit in January. I think he'll be back on campus this spring um, and they'll get an opportunity to continue working on him. Obviously he plays a good council. It's going to be a school that, uh, you know, every coach or every uh, coaching staff in the country is going to stop by at some point during the evaluation period um, when they go through the DC area. So it's going to be one of those ones where they have to circle back around, figure out what works and, and they want him back. I think he's a really tremendously uh, high level, high ceiling edge player. He's got some, some work to do in that position, but I think it's good work um, because he's got, uh, he's got a lot of work, a lot of room to grow. Now, Avery's exit, Sean, leaves Penn State with seven pledges in their 2023 class. It remains ranked fifth nationally. Um, but as you kind of look through this and, and what are the early trends, we know offensive line has a huge role with this group. Um, you know, it, Matthias Barnwell, Mega Barnwell, labeling him as an athlete, talked about offensive line, defensive line, tight end. Uh, I'm going to keep away from putting him in the defensive category at this point in his recruitment. And that leaves only four-star cornerback Lamont Wayne, Lamont Payne, I should say, uh, on board among defensive players. So seven guys committed um, and right now just one defender. So a lot of work to do on that side of the ball. I just thought that was something notable uh, as we kind of hit a a key phase for this class with a bunch of spring activity incoming. How many times are you going to do that in the next couple of years? The Lamont Payne to Lamont Wade comparison there? Too many times. Uh, too many. Yeah, no, it's still work to do on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, linebacker is a big spot for that. Now, defensive line, we'll probably slot Matthias Barnwell in there. But at the same time, you know, we're going to just keep that athlete label on him as long as we can until uh, we figure out what he actually is. Um, linebacker is a priority. 
think it's coming along slowly at corner um, safety. They've had some guys on campus, uh, some some productive safeties on campus. I, I think they'll be fine. It's just a matter of getting going in that right direction. They were heavy in the offense last year. Um, you know, it's one of those things they're going to have to work out. Now, Sean, um, of course, the biggest headline of the camp, uh, at least it, it, as we're concerned here at Penn State, surfaced before the camp actually started. But there was still a lot to look at down there at the Baltimore Under Armour camp. Brian Doan had, had a bunch of breakdowns, some individual prospect reports, kind of a overall top performers and recruiting rumbling stories, all those at Lions 24-7. Let's focus on some of your coverage, though, and, and a big name on this list especially for Nittany Lions fans wondering where they stand with the defensive prospect, four-star linebacker, Tony Rojas. Yeah, he's, he's good, man. He's, there's a lot to like there with Tony Rojas. I, we know he can run. Uh, we know he's got some filling out to do as a, a, you know, from a, from a body makeup standpoint, but he, I think he's a really good football player, really good athlete, a lot to like there from his performance. Um, but he did come out and say Penn state's still on top for him. That's a big step forward. He's taking some other visits. He's going to continue taking visits. Tennessee, South Carolina is going to stop off at Clemson on that South Carolina trip as well. I think Clemson is probably the main competition at this point. Going to get back to Penn State as well in in, uh, in the spring, and that's you know, anytime you can get him back on campus is huge because he's one of their top. I mean, what I have on the on the big board last month, uh, number three overall, I believe it was. So top top target for Penn State as they continue to fill out. Uh, you know, you want to, as I mentioned with the defense, you want to get some momentum going. Linebackers a spot where you feel good about uh, Tamir Robinson. You feel good about Tony Rojas. Just about pushing those guys across the line. Now they fit into that category where they want to see some other schools take some other visits and. You know, that's their prerogative, certainly, and it's uh, every right to do so. But you want to continue pushing forward on guys like Rojas because I think they can be such a big part of this class. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, Sean, one thing to note there, of course, as well, the defensive coaching staff it re remains very much intact in a lot of ways. The the main voice there, Brent Pry, no longer there. He's been the guy recruiting linebackers for this program for so long. The entire room right now filled with recruits that he has personally pursued. Manny Diaz filling that seat right now, focused on spring ball, but clearly trying to double it up as a recruiting source for the Nittany Lions across the country. Um Early returns on that as he's trying to connect with guys like Rojas and, and and some of these other defenders on the board who got their relationship started with the Nittany Lions through Brent Pry in a lot of ways. 
Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think you're heading in that direction. I don't think you you can't look at the commitment list and say there's early returns on it. But, you know, those guys don't seem deterred by pride leaving all that much. Of course, some of some people will consider Penn State or excuse me, con- consider Virginia Tech because pride's there. But at the same time, I don't think that it's a situation where pride leaving is, it has changed a lot of things for the the core subset of targets. Now, I think some names will come up. Uh, some new names will come up. I mean, we're hearing things like uh, Josiah Trotter's maybe higher on the board. Um, for Manny Diaz than was Brent Pry. And I think you're going to see that there's personal preference in every type of uh, coaching change that you have or type of coaching style that you have. So I think there'll be small changes, but I think on the whole, um, you're going to see just a lot of the same names popping up and and you'll continue to see guys coming up uh, for, for visits. I think Kevon Keyes is supposed to be here this weekend, a linebacker from uh, Virginia. So you've got a lot of names still out there at, at certain positions. And, and we, we focus so much um, in the early stages of this recruitment on Rojas, on Tamir Robinson, on Phil Pichotti, um, who's going to visit Oklahoma this weekend. But, you know, sometimes we maybe get a, a little bit far from from those secondary targets who aren't all that far down the list. I mean, you could you could take Josiah Trotter right now and, you know, might leave Pichotti out and that's probably a comparable take for Penn state. So I think you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're, where you're looking at the same names over and over again, wondering why these guys haven't committed, but that's just, that's part of the process. Sean, you got a long look at the offensive line. Um, Just reading through your notes there, Uh, obviously a Penn state commit involved, but there was a 2023 riser nicknamed tree. I'm going to let you, if you want, say his full name and then a 2024 uh, offensive lineman that had a lot of versatility. I'll let you take this where you want, because this seems to be a position group that you have plenty to write about. The O-line group was was better than I expected in terms of I had high hopes for the defensive line and thought they would just kill the offensive line. Um, Really didn't happen like that. Unfortunately for this camp, not a ton of reps to go around. So you you know it was if you're out there and you you win a rep, that's great. Maybe you'll get a circle back around and get uh, get another one going. By the way, it was freezing. That's the coldest camp I've ever covered. It was in the 30s, wind chill, snow, whatever. Um, you know, I know it's the Northeast, but a little early for an outdoor camp in the Northeast at this point. Um, uh, last year, I remember the the Under Armour camp was down in Maryland. I still have a sunburn or a suntan line uh, from that <laughs> camp because it was 75 and and really, really sunny. But anyway, that offensive line group, uh, Anthony Donko, the uh, offensive tackle commitment for Penn State. This is the first time I've seen him in person. He's a big dude, man. He's he's 6'5 plus uh, 315 pounds. Um, his arms go down to his knees, which is exactly what you want to see for an offensive tackle prospect. He's very raw. Um, he, he moves well. But he's he's got, uh, you know, sometimes it's his feet going. Sometimes it's his, it's mine going. Sometimes he needs to, to link those two up a little bit quicker and and, and find himself in the right position. I think I thought he held his own. He went against Mason Robinson a few times, the uh, defensive end from McDonough, who Penn State's recruiting as well, um, and, and really held up pretty well. Played him at both tackle and guard. I, I think that's interesting. I, I still think that they want to make him a tackle, but if you can get a guy that's a swing guy, um, obviously you want as much versatility up front as possible. Um because if it doesn't work out at tackle, maybe you've got a guard in there. But I, I was impressed with what I saw. He moves well. There's still a lot of work to be done, but you can see why Penn State likes him so much. Donka out of Lightridge High School, one of two Virginia – I'm sorry, three Virginia offensive linemen. It could be four if you throw in Barnwell, but Alex Birchmeyer, of course, a five-star, a number one interior offensive line prospect in 24-7 sports assessment. Joshua Miller out of Life Christian Academy, uh, done very well for themselves in the state of Virginia, building the future of this offensive line. You got an early look there. Um, and, well, and then well, Before you move on, I do yeah. want to make a note because you mentioned Tony Rojas. You mentioned some of these Virginia guys, yeah. and you talked about Manny Diaz recruiting them. J- Jaywan Sider's done a heck of 
a job there. Like he's, you, you don't really think about it because he's an off on the offensive side of the ball, but he's been involved with Birchmeyer. He's been involved with Donka. He's involved with Tony Rojas. He's got that little strip of Virginia, Northern Virginia from, you know, DC, just outside of DC down to, to Richmond. Um, and he's done a tremendous job there. And if you look at where Penn state's getting their guys from Virginia, it's that little strip there. So I think uh, that, that goes with, without saying that Cider's done a phenomenal job. Poindexter, obviously really well known there. So the, the success there is not just by happenstance. They've done a really nice job um, going back to the offensive line and fitting into that category. Fletcher Westfall, um, 2024 offensive line, uh, offensive tackle. Now I'm a, I'm a big, big guy myself. Um, I I'm looking straight up at this kid. This kid is a 2024 kid, six, eight plus um, absolutely huge. You don't see too many of those guys that say they're six, eight, and then they're actually six, eight Fletcher Westfall. He, he's up there, man. He's uh he's a big kid, really well-spoken kid. Going to check out Carolina and Georgia uh, this week, but he's been to Penn state a couple of times camp for them last summer. That's I think that's where he picked up his offer. Probably be back this summer again. So just a name to stash away. I know Penn state's already got a 2024 offensive line commit in Cooper cousins, but um, you know, they continue to get bigger. And I'm going to go off on another tangent here. You look at what Penn State brought in uh, this weekend for their offensive line commits, and those guys are are, are another. I mean, just from a size perspective, they're just an, another breed. Birchmeyer is six six. Cooper Cousins is six six. Don Dunko's six five plus. And these are legit measurements. These are not uh, these are not the old uh, 2010 you know uh, rivals measurements or whatever, where you're two inches taller or you're listed two inches taller than you actually are. Um, so I think that's that, that's interesting that the makeup of these offensive linemen is certainly changing. And then a guy, as I make this transition, uh, Olu Babalede, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, they nicknamed him Tree, which I would absolutely call him a tree. He's six six, uh, really, really good looking offensive tackle. Um, he was our alpha dog for 24-7 sports. Really, really good looking prospect. I don't think his recruitment's fully taken off yet, but this is a this is a situation, and I know it's a uh, shorts and t-shirt camp, and hopefully those guys were wearing sweatshirts too and things like that. But shorts and t-shirt camp one on one, but you can get some of the evaluation um, sort of uh, nuances that you can pick up for the offensive tackle or for for an offensive lineman here, even though it's just the one on ones and shorts and t-shirts. Um, he was really good. He was uh, he was a guy that really stood his stood his ground. Um, he's got good technique, good bend, a lot to like there. Um, Penn State has been tracking him, but I don't think they were close to particularly close to offering. This is a situation where a performance like this could push them over the line. They get the tape from this uh, from UC report. They can look at those guys and how they're working out and things like that. And that's how you get a chance to get your eyes on him before a camp season or something like that. Obviously, they'll check him out in the spring. Will he have an offer by then? It's hard to say. I would I would lean yes um, because I think this is a situation where he starts to blow up. Tyler Bowen offered him yesterday at Virginia Tech, and I think it's going to continue to go in that direction for the O-line MVP of this camp. Yeah, he does not have a rating or ranking yet from 24-7 Sports, but he does have the Alpha Dog article written about him coming off of a camp like this where there's a lot of talent, including on the offensive line. And to your point, Tyler Bowen isn't alone. He's also picked up offers from Vanderbilt, Syracuse, UConn, and UNC since that camp. So I think that list will continue to grow. Do you think these camps don't matter much? They were desperately, desperately missed in 2020 and to an extent last year as well. It's nice to see them back because these are the kind of stories, although – not necessarily going to call it an underdog story for a six foot five, three hundred pounder out of Dematha Catholic, but these are the kind of opportunities when the spotlight is on you, and maybe you go shoulder to shoulder with players who have those kind of ratings and offers. 
you can prove something and, and you get a rapid reaction from college coaching staffs in a lot of these uh, instances. You can play yourself into a different tier. I mean, that's what we're yeah. talking about here. It's not just so much going from, um, you know, an, a complete unknown to whatever, although it's good to see, you know, so many people say that the, the write-ups from these camps are already done before we get to the camp, but for an unranked guy to, to get the alpha dog, I think that that kind of disproves that. Um, but now it's, it's cool to see just a guy not completely coming out of nowhere. I think he had 15 and 15 or 16 offers coming into the camp, but I think his uh, he's been to Rutgers a couple of times. Pitt's been on that list. So you're looking at the, you know, these def not loosely defined tiers uh, among college football recruiting. I think he can, he can really see himself take off. At quarterback, it was a local kid who stood out, Michael Van Buren, who was on campus at Penn State also this past weekend. Uh, so crossing paths with him a bit this weekend. Uh, 2024 quarterback already has that offer from Penn State. What did you see from the young QB? Very smooth. Uh, not the biggest kid in the world, um, which he's a 2024 kid, so room to room to grow, and hopefully he he adds a couple of inches. But uh, this is very smooth. It's it's easy to see just from looking at that group of quarterbacks, which wasn't a great group of quarterbacks, but he he was very you know he's at the front of the line, you know, throwing good balls. The wind was uh, a factor all day. Um, and obviously drops are going to happen when it's 30 degrees or whatever it was. Um, but I, I thought he did a really good job. I was impressed with his flick of the wrist and getting the ball out. I think he's got to get stronger. He's got to get bigger. Um, but there's uh, it's a good base. It's a good way to start. And we've talked about Van Buren here on the podcast before. He's the St. Francis quarterback who was not even the, the full-time starter. Went out to De La Salle, won that game on national TV, threw four touchdowns, and all of a sudden he's got a Michigan offer. He's got a Penn State offer. So things took off quickly for him. So as he continues to get – um, reps or continues to get starts under his belt. I think more schools are going to come in. Penn State has set themselves up nicely to start. Um, it's going to be a recruitment, I think, that plays out a little bit longer um, because he is a 2024 kid on the radar very early. Um, but he's a, he's done a nice job for himself so far, and he was at Penn State on Saturday. I talked to him a little bit. Uh, just impressed with the, the coaching staff, impressed with uh, what they're trying to do up there. Penn State has not had any success whatsoever in in signing St. Francis prospects, but they've they've had a lot of those guys on campus. And I think it's a, it's a situation where you kind of have this stigma that St. Francis kids are, aren't going to come to Penn State, but it's it, it ends up, as it does with everything else, it's a case-by-case, kid-by-kid basis in recruiting. Michigan, Penn State, and in-state Maryland are the earliest Big Ten offers for Van Buren. Sean, I know you covered a lot of this on your content that was published on Lines 24-7 on Monday. Anything else to, to mention here in terms of standouts or uh, general trends that you're seeing on the recruiting trail early? Uh, defensive line was good. Uh, Desmond Umiuzolo, uh, Umiuzulu. Uh, sorry, that's I'm <laughs> I'm not good at these some of these names. Uh, he's a tremendous frame, same as Joe with Joseph Mapoy from uh, from the DC area. Deshaun Womack's a kid I really like from St. Francis. He's been up to campus and he's probably going to be back next month as well um, as a defensive lineman. I probably say defensive end at this point, but I could see him growing uh, a little bit. Mason Robinson, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, Penn State really really likes Mason Robinson, and you know I could see from given everything that's going with his recruitment, he goes to McDonough, he's denied Dennis Sutton's teammates, he's talked to some of those guys that were up there. We'll have an update on him uh, on the site, but uh, he's coming back next weekend on April 9th for some, uh, for, for another visit. So a lot to like there from that standpoint, 2024s were good. Uh, Amelia Agard from, uh, from Philly has been on campus several times. He'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks as well. Makai White did some really good things. Ernest Willor did some good things. Dominic, uh, Dominic, uh, I just I did not write his name down. Uh, the kid from the defensive lineman from Maryland. I'll have it in a second here, but he was very impressive. Dominic Nichols, uh, he was very impressive. Um, so I, I I like what we saw from the 2024 kids. 
tough to evaluate a camp like that. So cold, so many things going on, a lot of drops, a lot of wind and all that stuff, but uh, another productive camp in this region. I'll give you guys credit because that was like mid-February, early February kind of weather that you encountered down there. So, uh, again, Sean Fitz, Brian Doan, a bunch of coverage up on Lions247.com from Sunday in through the week. I think you'll start continue to see interviews and stuff like that uh, pop up on the site. Sean, meanwhile, back here on campus, uh, an eventful weekend in Happy Valley. We, we previewed it a little bit toward the end of last week. And um, you and I both caught up with two guys who came together, two cousins who play for Orange, uh, the Orange football program out in Orange County, uh, Southern California. California, Kobe Boykin, Jet White, both of them are committed to Pac-12 schools. I'll let you start out here. Jet White, just a freshman when he committed to Southern Cal, and this is a kid you're going to hear a lot about, I think, when you when you follow the national recruiting scene in the next three years. I mean, he goes by Jet. How can you how can you hate that? It's yeah. uh, he's he came in this weekend, uh, probably going to be a corner, probably going to be, and I said this on our site, the highest rated guy that they had on campus this past weekend. Eventually, I think he's he's going to be pushing for five-star status as a kid that really impressed um, as a freshman, committed to USC as a freshman, um, you know, committed to the old staff at USC as a freshman. So he'll get a chance. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, backs off that to visit other schools and things like that. I know he came all the way across country with his, uh, with his cousin, um, but a lot to like there, obviously a long shot, obviously coming across campus or across, excuse me, cross country, not cross campus to check out campus at Penn State is, is a good thing, but uh, he had a lot of really good things to say, wants to come back for the whiteout. At this point, that's pretty much all you can ask, which uh, with a guy that is shaping up to be one of the better prospects in the 2025 class. A year ahead of him and his cousin, Kobe Boykin, uh, committed to Utah last year. I picked up a Penn State offer earlier this month and very quickly, as we reported on Lines 24-7, lined up a visit. That took place this past weekend. And, and Sean, one thing with Boykin is it became pretty clear, I think, from this visit that Penn State really is viewing him as, a, as an offensive backfield weapon. He's talked about the slot receiver position and the running back role, basically referred to himself as the scat back. Uh, and from what he kind of sat down and reviewed uh, with J1 Sider, he spent a lot of time with Sider, a lot of time with Franklin, uh, noting that that was a big takeaway for him to get a little bit uh, of kind of a feel for who they are as personalities, um, talking a little bit about life after football, what Penn State might be able to do for them there. All the kind of stuff you would hope to accomplish when you make this kind of a long distance trip across the country. Um, now, you know, I know he viewed this as a big time offer when it came through for him. Um, you know, you look at some of the offers that arrived for him. A lot of them were regional Pac-12 early on. Of course, the Utah commitment Then Utah goes out and wins the Pac-12 championship. That's going to make him feel pretty good. He'll be back there soon. He's going southeast, though, in just a bit. LSU, Memphis, maybe TCU um, as part of his upcoming travel itinerary. And this is a guy who last year they packed two seasons into one out there in Southern California because of the pandemic, showed up as an all Orange Coast League selection as a freshman in the spring, and then went out and had almost 2,000 total yards as a runner and a receiver, 10 scores as a, as a receiver, 16 scores as a rusher. So when you make that kind of noise in Orange County and then you go out and you have a really impressive performance at the Under Armour camp that they had out in Los Angeles uh, just a few weeks ago, he was viewed as one of the top performers by our 24-7 sports staff. I think he's trending up. He's a little limited by his size, which right now is listed at five foot eight. Um, but uh, you know, some FaceTime with the man in charge, James Franklin, and with the guy who runs that running back room, Jay Wan Sider. He said it opened his eyes. He's still committed to Utah, but very clearly he wants to see what the college football universe has to offer. And I think ultimately the Utes, despite their success there in their conference, they're going to face a challenge here in keeping him on board here in the next 21 months or so before they get to that signing day. 
I'd agree with that last point. I, I'm not sure if Penn State's the eventual landing spot for him. He is right. electric, though, um, probably closer to 5'6 than 5'8, which is probably going to hurt him at some point. Uh, Jet, Jet actually sent me a picture of the two of them, and they're, they're cousins, and uh, Jet has him by six or seven inches. And that's So we'll see what happens with, with those two guys, but uh, guys that you can get back on campus for the whiteout. And, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly tough to recruit California. It's tough to get kids to come all the way across, but uh, if you're going to come across in March for an unofficial visit on your own dime, I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, a guy that was also here this weekend that we've maybe sp spoken a, a little bit more about Amari Snowden, the uh, defensive back from uh, Roseville, Michigan, has been on campus uh, a handful of times so far. Penn State offered him when he visited for a game last fall. Uh, big kid, 6'2 plus, um, you know, probably projects as a safety. I think we have listed as a corner on 24-7 sports off the top of my head. But as a kid that really enjoyed his visit, um, I think Penn State probably put themselves in, in pole position at this point. Cincinnati's involved. Some other schools are involved. I don't think the Michigan schools are, are very um, – involved in this one, but Penn State's put them in, in a position where I think that if they press and they want to go ahead with this, and Snowden could be a very realistic member of this class. Alan True had the rundown on Snowden's visit up on Lines 24-7. And on Monday, uh, inter international flair here on the recruiting trail, Sean, you posted a story at Lines 24-7 about the NFL Academy of London bringing along some prospects to Happy Valley, including some that you saw down at that Baltimore camp. Yes, and uh, before I uh, before I get to that, Amari Snowden actually over six three. Now that I called him six two, um, so that's my fault on that one. Um, but yeah, very intriguing. The NFL Academy in London um, has uh, a new program by the NFL started in September 2019. Obviously, you know, with uh, with the pandemic and everything slowed down, but now they're getting kids to the uh, the United States. This isn't a situation where they're sending here them to board and and go to a United States or high school. But they're going to get themselves in front of it. Uh, good, good group that came up uh, from or came over from London for these camps. They stopped at Maryland, stopped at Towson, they went to Penn State. I think they're at Temple today. Um, but they showed out in uh, in the camp. I was very impressed. Tight end Peter Clark, a 2023 prospect, um, about six six, six five, six six. Uh, caught everything thrown his way. The most impressive thing, he was um, he was wearing gloves. Of course, everybody was wearing gloves. Um, but he came over after a play, and his middle finger was was sideways, just just pointing the the wrong direction. Um, and that's not good. I don't. I'm not a doctor. That's not good. Um, he ran over to the medical tent. He gave it a couple of shakes, and before he even got to the trainer, he's like, "Okay, I'm good." And he went back to catching everything possible. So um, it was really cool to see uh, to, to see some football guy coming from uh, from all the way from London. Kofi Taylor Barracks, um, a linebacker, he camped for the staff at, uh, at Penn State last summer, um, picked up an invitation to the Under Armour All-American game after the camp the other day. Um, and all those guys were on campus on Monday. There's a couple other guys. Check out the write-up online. It's 24-7. But really cool. We know that PPI uh, recruits has been all over Europe and Penn State got uh, uh, Joseph Darkwa from there a couple of years ago. But this is a different sort of uh, setup. Um, they do everything in London. It's through the NFL. Um, we'll see if this takes off. I know Jack Crawford has been involved with them. He's not actually one of the coaches, um, but uh, he's been there talking to them and, and going through some things. So just a pretty cool little wrinkle um, that, that comes in and you're getting visits out of these guys and uh, hopefully forging relationships or hopefully for Penn State's perspective, forging relationships that can result in, in actual players. Been a long time since Jack Crawford landed in South Jersey for a little while and then took the stepping stone to Penn State. But that's a that's a nice reference to hear in, in that conversation. Um, Sean, yeah, anything Jack's else? Some work. Jack's doing some work, I think, for Sky Sports. I saw him at the Super Bowl doing some some cool stuff. So even though his playing career is is over, I think it's 
finally over. Um, really did a nice job hanging lasted in the league. Lasted a long for, time. Yeah, yeah. lasted a long time in the league. And for a guy that had really no experience coming to the States, uh, you know, really made the most of it. And not a guy that we talk about enough as, as, as he was one of those guys on the track that needed to learn football, needed to learn things. And by the time he was about to hit his prime, he went to he went to the NFL, so um, I think that's uh, that's a situation that's that that's good for Penn State, but uh, you didn't see the best of Jack Crawford at Penn State, unfortunately for Nittany Lions fans. All right, there's our UK segment for the episode. Back to week two of spring practice. Don't have a bunch to talk about. We're going to get a look at this team again on Wednesday, as we discussed. Uh, our next episode, we'll have more to delve through. Uh, but Theo Johnson, Sean, was featured on 24-7 Sports' Big Ten breakout list. Uh, ten names were reviewed here by national analyst Brad Crawford and, and posted on 24-7 Sports Tuesday. Uh, some of the others, Max Melton, the defensive back at Rutgers. Dean Ingram, uh, a wide receiver at Wisconsin. David Prim, running back yeah. at Michigan State. Um, Casey Thompson, a quarterback at Nebraska. Um, it's a it's a 10-player ten, ten list. I'm not going to go through it. But Theo Johnson pops up there. And no surprise to you and I, it's a name that if Brad had reached out to directly to us who's the breakout player on Penn State this year we both may have responded with Theo Johnson we discussed that quite a bit this year I think one of us if not both of us mentioned him in that kind of role last year going into the 2021 season so I'm taking Theo Johnson off the table where we are right now the final few days of March who are you thinking as a very early breakout candidate in 2022 Oh, wow. That's tough. Um, it'd be interesting to watch some of those positions as you know, you're filling Jahan Dotson getting out of there. So some of those guys can step up. Can Keandre Lambert Smith step up? Hard to say, but I mean, I'm going to go with Singleton, uh, you know, just from talking to people in the program uh, that they're, that, that's a name that's come up. Katron Allen's also a name that's come up. I'll be interested to see how quickly they can press by those older players in the depth chart. Um, so we, you know, I've heard good things, and I hate saying this. I've heard good things about the running backs. We heard that last year. We'll believe it when we see it. But we like, uh, you know, we like what we've heard from about Nick Singleton so far. I'm just going to go with him uh, to see uh, to see where he stands. And I don't know how much we'll see of those guys in the blue white game. How much we'll see of them running the ball in the blue white game. Obviously, they need an offensive line to block for them. But Singleton is a guy that you continue to hear good things about. That'll get plenty of people excited out there in the listening audience. There's no doubt about it. Um, I keep going back to Malik Maya, and and I were just reminding myself going to his uh, stats from last year. He has three catches yeah. for 78 yards. It's one the of Tyler them, Warren thing almost, that we talked about. <laughs> almost all of those yards occurred on one catch, a long touchdown against Rutgers. Um, but you see him time and time again. The latest time we saw him was at the pro day at practice field last week. I mean, he's just ridiculously big, but then you, you he sounds like he's one of the fastest guys on this team. And Drew Hartlob says, yeah, he can play gunner because he's physical enough and he's certainly fast enough. And so you're thinking there's a lot to love about what Taylor Stubblefield has here in year three with Malik Mega, a guy he was speaking very highly of last year. I know Mitchell Tinsley's on board after a very productive season at Western Kentucky, and uh, he's expected to get a lot of reps, if not be an outright starter. You got Parker Washington. You got Keandre Lambert Smith, who still needs to answer some bells. It sounds like with Taylor Stubblefield and and continue to be that guy. To me, Parker Washington's pretty entrenched. Then you think you've got Keandre Lambert Smith and you know Mitchell Tinsley. It's a big leap to Power Five competition, and we will see if he's up to the task. But to me, Malik Mega, because of that athleticism, maybe coming along as a receiver, because instead of the conversation being what an athlete. Now you start to talk about this guy is rounding out as a receiver. I think you saw them throw some trust his way last year, in part because he were without Jahan Dotson during all those bowl practices into December into that game. But um, it's hard for me to look away from this name. There's a few others. I thought about Landon Tangwall, an offensive lineman. Boy, would that answer the bell for a lot of people in this category. 
but I'm gonna I'm gonna for right now go with Malik Mega. It wouldn't shock me if he goes out there and adds to the hype a little bit during the blue-white game just because of those physical traits and what he might be able to do on any given moment. Well, from an, from an offensive line perspective, how do you define a breakout? I mean, is it by starts? Yeah. Is that by whatever you know metric you want to throw out there? Because you're, you're bound to the guy beside you, essentially. You could have a good year on a bad offensive line. So it, it's tough to consider a breakout. With Mega, I think it's about setting the expectations. You're not you're not saying he's going to come out and take Jahan's reps and, and catch 90 balls or things like that. But if mm -hmm. he gets to 20, 25 catches this year, it's probably a success. You look at uh, what they did last year. Jahan had 91 catches. Parker had 64. Keandre Lambert-Smith, that third receiver with 34. Now the tight ends, hopefully the tight ends are factored a little bit more into that. Um, but but then you have a, a bit of a drop-off there. So um, is he the third receiver? Is he the fourth receiver? If, if he's the fourth receiver, can he catch that you know, 20, 25 balls? I think that'd be a great step forward for Malik Mega. I agree with him. Physically, man, there's not too many guys that look like him, but we've seen a lot of really good physical talents that have come through Penn State and, and, and haven't put up those numbers. So if he can continue to progress as a receiver, I think that potential is there. But until then, uh, that's a, that, that, that P word is floating around. It's going to be you know just hovering around Malik Mega for the next year. Yeah, and, and you're right that to qualify that's the, the breakout term doesn't even mean I think he's going to go start 12 games, but like if he can catch in that 22 to 30 pass range, 30 reception range, and it's not just like he's not going to average 10.5 yards per catch. This is a guy who's going to make big plays. So I think if you take a chunk of those 25 catches over the course of a season and find out how many of those are momentum kind of swinging plays, he can provide that for this offense. And, and we're kind of looking around and seeing with Jahan Dotson now gone, who else can do that? Malik Mega to me fits it and big year for him. I mean, third yeah. third year, as we said, it sounded like last year there was high expectations. He was banged up. They were impressed by how he was able to even bounce back and contribute. But a guy that we'll be talking about quite a bit throughout this offseason and, and into the season because wide receiver, uh, there's a bunch of, like you said, the P word, a bunch of potential. Uh, but there's really only two guys that have done it in, in Big Ten action on the roster right now. But I think the story at that position is you had Jahan with 91, Parker with 64, Keandre Lambert-Smith with, with 34. And then you go to that second team, Cam Sullivan Brown had four catches, Malik Mega had three, Marquise Wilson had three, Winston Eumanks had one. So you got to close that gap. I mean, you got to from from the first team to the second team, you want to have guys that can compete. Does that mean that Harrison Wallace is up there? Malik Mega is up there. Um, you know, you're already looking at this this group and saying, I think this this group of backups can be better than the group of backups last year, which is going to you know raise all ships or, or whatever um, that is. So I think that that's your your goal when you're talking about Mega, when you're talking about Trey Wallace, when you're talking about potentially Liam Clifford or somebody getting in there is is going from those three guys relying so heavily on those three guys to cycling some guys through and being confident, throwing them the football. And each year under Taylor Stubblefield, you've seen probably a less concerning gap in that wide receiver room where when he first got to campus, you were wondering if you had a number one wide receiver and you did with Jahan Dotson and then you had a freshman step up, uh, but you didn't really have a wide receiver three presence, Pat Frymuth on that roster. Last year, the first time they had three wide receivers go for 30 plus catches in quite some time. And if you can sustain that, get the tight ends more involved, You've got the pieces there for the passing attack, the quarterbacks in place. Um, and you could probably go with a few breakouts out of that room as well. Harrison Wallace hearing good things about him as well, uh, year two on campus. Um, Sean, 
we could go on and on about potential breakouts. We've done it before. Let's stop it there. Um, we have a five-star mailbag to get to. I wanted to quickly note, though, Ryan Bates, who went undrafted out of Penn State uh, just a few years ago. He's going to be a fourth-year pro, and he's sticking with the Buffalo Bills, and they're going to pay him quite a bit of money to do that, Sean. Um, Four-year, $17 million deal. They matched the offer sheet from the Chicago Bears. He was a restricted free agent. Ryan Bates, again, undrafted. Four years later, $8 million guaranteed in this deal. Thought that was worth mentioning, along with Deshaun Hamilton getting a fresh start with the Houston Texans yesterday. It's going to be a prove-it kind of deal for him after things ended in frustrating terms, I guess, with Denver Broncos. He was injured. They were trying to trade him before that. Uh, didn't work out in Denver, uh, and Deshaun Hamilton remains Penn State's all-time leader in receptions. Yeah, get paid, guys. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's cool to see, especially for Bates, who uh, took the long way around. I think the Bears were, were had signed him to an offer sheet, so he gets to stay and play in Buffalo. It seems like he's enjoying himself there. It seems like he's fitting into the culture up there as well, so uh, certainly good for for guys like Bates and, and certainly Hamilton, who we obviously, obviously always love to see Deshaun Hamilton play. Onto our five-star mailbag, and we'll get right into it. The question is, what do you think is the best assistant assistant coaching hire James Franklin has made, either in his entire time at Penn State or on the current staff? Sean, I have an abbreviated point of view here, not covering the team until late in 2017. Uh, of course, you've followed this thing along since the moment Franklin showed up on campus. Yeah, um, there, this can go several directions. I, I go with Moorhead just because – it resulted in a Big Ten title, and that was like right away. I mean, obviously, you forget how James Franklin's job status was viewed coming into that twenty twenty or that twenty sixteen season, especially at the end of September after Michigan blew him out. But they found something; they found something that worked, and they they turned into a Big Ten title. And you really can't look at any hire that that he's made since and say that has resulted in you know a tangible win loss type of, of thing. But uh, yeah, Moorhead's going to be tough to beat. What I liked about the Moorhead hire, and I would hope that this is something that taught James Franklin something about himself is. He let Joe do his thing. He let Joe be the head coach of the offense. He let him, you know, just sort of run his thing and 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 stayed away from it and, and was the CEO type. And I think that's when James Franklin has been most successful when he's had guys like that that he's been able to uh, trust with the defense. And I and, and that kind of gives you hope. Where, or excuse me, trust with the offense kind of gives you hope for the defense this year with Manny Diaz. Obviously, Manny's uh, got extensive head coaching um, experience. Um, you know, it, it 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 hasn't always been the greatest uh, at Miami, but uh, he's got that experience. You're going to let him run his defense and do his thing. And then you can, you know, potentially thrive. And as I said, Franklin's at best when he's at his CEO, CEO status. Um, getting into it a little bit deeper, two guys that he hired right before the pandemic, John Scott and Taylor Stubberfield, who, who we sort of, you know, just piled on at the time for the belt and for John Scott really not being a, a personality or anything like that and, you know, getting into it a little bit slower. Those guys have been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, just uh, turning around uh, that receiver group, not only on the field, but recruiting as well. Um, John Scott's doing a great job uh, defensive line recruiting and defensive line pro uh, producing. He's, uh, you know, a, a key, you know, we don't point to him often enough as a key reason that they got denied Dennis Sutton, but. You know, they got denied in Sutton. He found a guy like Zane Durant who doesn't fit the typical mold of, of what you're looking for, made him a priority and went from there. So I think those two guys who, you know, we've I don't want to call it mea culpa or anything like that, but we kind of gave them a hard time at the be at the beginning and they've really turned it around. So they've proven to be pretty good hires so far. I think you know, Joe Moorhead's just so difficult to disagree with. I you've got to you've got to kind of just say you're right, because 
that Big Ten bling, that, that it's hard to ignore that. that. That ring that they won with him at the helm of that offense and the kind of production they posted the following year uh, when they won 11 games and they did some really explosive things, including putting up a ton of points on the road in Columbus. Uh, it's it's And what has happened with the offense since then, um, yeah, it's really difficult not to circle that and say what a hell of a it, hire it, that it's was. It's the easy yeah. answer, but how are you going to avoid it, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I, I'm with you on Stubblefield because – that there was a slow drip at receiver, maybe maybe bigger than a slow drip in terms of what they were producing and what they were bringing in and how guys were turning out. And it was getting to be a really bad situation. And we addressed it with the production and 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 just the recruits that were coming to campus and not not you know, materializing in any way, shape, or form. The Taylor Stubblefield, we'll see what he does with a lot of younger players, second-year players, a big class that he just brought in. But thus far, that has been kind of not, not just stop the bleeding, but you're moving in a completely different way with that pendulum now in the receiver room with the way you're coaching it up, with the way that, that you're developing players, recruiting players. Uh, Jared Parker, I think uh, a pretty impressive talent, but he was here and gone so quickly. Um, and, and, and Corley never seemed to be the right fit. I think that was pretty clear to, to everyone monitoring that situation in that role. And so now I, I think they've done a great job. And I'll mention Jay Wan Sider. Big part of this is the longevity. I think when Jay Wan Sider came to town in 2018, a lot of people wondered how long would he be here because he's got all those roots down in South Florida. And it has not necessarily been easy for Penn state to make sure that he's on the staff year in year out. They've had a fight. There's plenty of phone calls coming Jay Wan Sider's way and to his agent and teams want him involved because of what he can do on the recruiting trail. But I think from a cultural standpoint, as James Franklin has seen guys like Sean Spencer and now Brent Pry and Ricky Ronnie leave, these were, you know, part of that inner circle guys you could lean on. I think Jay Wan Sider has kind of taken his role in that group and, what is this year four, year five coming off of a rough group, rough outcome for his running back group. And I don't think anyone takes that more personally than cider does, but I think it's been, you know, the fact that he is still here in 2022 and means as much as he does as a, as kind of a foundational cultural guy for this program. That's probably more than what a lot of people expected Penn state to get out of that hire initially. Yeah. I did not expect him to still be here in 2022. Um, Florida came after him. Florida state came after him in the off season. Uh, John, John Scott turned down a couple of sec jobs this year. So they've done a nice job in retaining those guys. So uh, it's been really interesting to see that. Um, and you know, on, on the flip side, you, you mentioned Corley, Franklin has turned around and, and cut bait on some of these guys as well. The Corley lime Grovers and, and guys like that looking for upgrades. I will say going back to the beginning, he brought most of his staff from Vanderbilt, but Terry Smith was not on that Vanderbilt staff. He's mm -hmm. still here. Um, he's a fixture, and he's moved into that inner circle. Cider's moved into that inner circle. He also brought Charles Huff in, which, uh, you know, we kind of forget about Charles sometimes, but he's obviously on that trajectory doing some great things. Head coach of Marshall right now. He went with Joe Moorhead. You know, he went from the lowest rung on Penn State staff to Joe Moorhead's right-hand man, and he went to Alabama. Obviously, speaks for itself there. Um, and, you know, he's been I, just great, uh, great to follow his career because he's still a fairly young guy, and Marshall I don't think is going to be his last stop. Yeah, that Franklin coaching tree, we'll see where it is five years from now, but it's come a long way in the past five years, something to be very proud of for, for him and the program. Um, uh, it's, it's impressive it, the way that is growing and the head coaches that have come out of it. Sean, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Between now and the next time we talk to folks, we'll have a glimpse at practice. We'll have James Franklin and Mike Yersich. Our understanding is Juice Scruggs and Jonathan Sutherland also expected to meet with the media after practice on Wednesday. So a lot coming your way for now. Thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn. Thanks to Sean Fitz. I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.